My name is Heidi and I love stories, funny stories and sad stories and what on earth just happened stories. As it turns out, the Bible is full of them. After two decades in Sunday school, plus a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready. This is Messy Scripture. During the time when the judges were still ruling over Israel, before Israel had a king, there was a woman named Naomi who lived with her husband and two sons in the town of Bethlehem in Judah. A famine came to the entire land, Judah had no food, and the family decided to move to Moab. You know, Moab. With the Moabites. Because Moab still had food. And while they lived in the land of Moab, Naomi's husband died and her two sons married. They lived there, you know, no husband, but still sons to support her, for ten years. And then as it happened, both of Naomi's sons died, leaving a total of three widows behind. Naomi, whose husband had already died and now no longer had the protection of her sons, Ruth and Orpah. Word got back to Naomi that in the land of Israel there was food again. God had finally sent the rain and now there could be harvests. There was nothing for her in Moab and she decided to return to Judah. To her surprise, Ruth and Orpah tried to go with her. But as they were on their way, Naomi told them both that there was no point in coming back with her. She was clearly cursed, and there was nothing for them. Even if Naomi remarried and had children, two sons, twins even, it would be years, decades before they would be old enough to marry the women. There was nothing left for them with Naomi, and there was no point in joining her. It would be better for them to go back to their parents' houses and be under the protection of their fathers and remarry that way. Naomi had nothing to offer and nothing to live for, and she didn't want her daughters-in-law to be stuck with the same fate. With many, many, many tears and remorsefulness and a heavy heart, Orpah realized that Naomi was right. She had nothing to offer. There was no point in going on. And Orpah returned to her home. Naomi asked Ruth, like, hey, aren't you going home too? And of all the responses ever made by anyone in any circumstances, Ruth's might be my very favorite. I'm reading this word for word from the English Standard Version. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more, if anything but death parts me from you. Naomi realizes she cannot sway Ruth from coming with her. More than that, Ruth has not only given her life over to the service of Yahweh, but she's made a pledge in his name, on his name, that she will stay with Naomi no matter what. Not only will she go with Naomi wherever she lives, she will stay there in that place when Naomi dies, remaining behind, whether or not there's anything for her, because she loves her. Ruth has found her family and she's not going to give it up and the two of them go back to Bethlehem. They arrive right at the beginning of the barley harvest. When they return, Naomi's old friends are happy to see her, and she stops them and tells them to not call her Naomi anymore, to call her Mara, which means bitter. We've had this before. We've heard this way, way back when Israel was in the desert wandering around and they found bitter water. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me, she says. Everything I had has been taken away from me. We were driven out of our homeland. And in the land that we sojourned in, I lost my entire family. Well, except for Ruth. And Ruth, you know, is probably waving in the background like, Hi, I'm still here. But there was nothing for Naomi. She wanted to be called Mara. 
Interestingly enough, the book of Ruth at this point does not actually switch to calling her Mara, which generally the Bible does do, you know, like Jacob and Israel, that sort of thing. But in general, when it leaves the name alone, that's a good sign that the identity of the person hasn't actually changed, that something's coming, that there might be a turn of fortune, that the old name might still apply. Likewise, when the new name is being used, it's because the new name's fortune applies. Anyway, Ruth and Naomi have returned back to Israel right at the beginning of harvest season. And as it turns out, back in the law, which, you know, we covered very, very tangentially, it's forbidden to go through the fields twice if you're harvesting. And the reason for that is that those who are widows and orphans and the destitute can go through fields as they're being harvested and collect any loose grain that falls or any stocks that might have been missed. Basically, there was this policy of whatever you gather in, you can gather, but you can't go back and strip the fields bare. That is for the poor people. That is for the people who need that food. Ruth is aware of this law and asks Naomi if she can go out and work in one of the fields, in whomever she's allowed in, because she is a Moabite, keep in mind. And Naomi gives her a blessing, so Ruth goes. As it turns out, the field she goes to belongs to a man named Boaz, who is a relative of Naomi's and very, very rich. Boaz sees the new woman who's gleaning in his fields and asks his workers about her, and they're like, oh, that's Ruth. She came back with Naomi. She's a Moabite, but she's Naomi's daughter-in-law. And anyway, she asked us if she could glean here, and we're like, yeah, sure, that's fine. Boaz then approaches Ruth and lets her know that she is allowed to glean in any of his fields wherever his young men are reaping, and also that they have all been given instructions not to touch or molest her. They're not allowed to bother her in any way. And in fact, when she's thirsty, she can drink from the same water that they're drinking from. Ruth falls down in gratitude and asks what she could have possibly done as a foreigner to earn Boaz's favor. And Boaz tells her that he's heard all about her. In fact, Ruth's kindness and love for Naomi has spread and given her a reputation that reached all the way to Boaz's ears. That's a pretty impressive reputation. Granted, Boaz is Naomi's relative, but that doesn't mean that he would hear all the gossip about all the people who were down on their luck. Nope. Ruth has been spectacular. She is the ideal daughter, and Boaz has heard about it and is really happy to see her. In fact, Boaz leaves her with a blessing that she be blessed of God. Basically, Ruth had been like, may God curse me if I don't fulfill all of my vows to Naomi. And Boaz, without knowing it, gives the other half because all curses and blessings in the Bible basically come with a plus and a minus. They come with both sides. May I be cursed if I don't. May I be blessed if I do. And Boaz blesses her saying that the Lord of Israel should give her a just reward, a full reward, and that she is under his wings now because of what she has done for Naomi. And Ruth is grateful, incredibly grateful. This is a fantastic situation for her. When the workers are eating their meal, Boaz actually invites Ruth over to join them and tells her to eat whatever she'd like until she's satisfied. So she does. She actually accepts the meal and eats till she's satisfied. If this sounds like flirting, a little bit. She actually was even allowed to take home leftovers, if you can believe it. And after she got up to get back to work, Boaz tells his workers that she's allowed to glean among the sheaves, which means she's not only allowed to go through the parts of the field that have already been harvested, she's actually allowed to go through the bundles and pick up any scraps there. In fact, they're not to bother her no matter what she does, because Ruth is awesome. Everything that she did for Naomi, also back in Moab, has apparently reached Boaz's ears, and he is not about to see her treated poorly by anybody, especially not his employees. At the end of the day, Ruth threshes the grain that she's gathered, and it turns out to be over half a bushel, which is not an insignificant amount of grain. Naomi points this out and is like, 
how on earth did you get that much grain in one day of gleaning? To make matters even more remarkable, Ruth has leftover cooked food, like that leftover toasted grain from lunch, and she brings it to Naomi and is like, food! And Naomi's like, how did this happen? Like, <laughs> what on earth have you been up to? Whoever this man is who you gleaned from, whew, bless him. Ruth at this point is like, oh, his name's Boaz. And Naomi is like, God has not forgotten me. That man is one of our redeemers. You'll be safe in his field, and more importantly, in another field you might be raped. So please do stay with Boaz, because he gave you permission to do so. I want to backtrack just a moment and explain what a redeemer is. So in Jewish culture and in the law, the nearest male relative would marry the widow of the prior male relative who had died. So we heard about this a little bit back when Judah had that incident with Tamar, where like his sons married in rapid succession so that his oldest son would still have an heir, that kind of thing. Well, all the sons of Naomi are dead, but Boaz is actually a pretty close relative of Naomi's. So Boaz is an eligible bachelor. And Ruth has been given permission to glean in his field until the end of the harvest season. At the end of the harvest, when Boaz was threshing the entire thing, Naomi's like, Ruth, I should do something good for you. Like, I have an idea and we can make our lives a lot better. Here's what I want you to do. Boaz is threshing tonight, so I want you to wash and put on perfume and put on your pretty clothes and sneak to Boaz's place, but don't let him see you. Hide. And then when he goes to bed, uncover his feet and lay down. And when he wakes up, he'll tell you what to do. And Ruth is like, all right, sounds good. Sounds like a plan. So she does exactly what she's told. Boaz goes and has a big party because threshing is fun. The harvest is in. Hooray. He's a little drunk. And he lays down. And Ruth watches where he falls asleep. And after he does fall asleep, she uncovers his feet and lays down. There are several places in the Bible where feet is a euphemism for something else. And while I don't think in this particular passage it's a euphemism, it would still carry significant weight. Like, what Ruth has done is in itself a euphemism. Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night and there is a beautiful young woman at his feet. And he's like, whoa, who are you? And she's like, I'm Ruth and you're a close relative of mine. Cover me with your clothing and be my redeemer. And Boaz is thrilled. This beautiful young woman has chosen to be redeemed by him, a somewhat older, wealthy, but older man. She could have gone after anybody, any of the family redeemers, but she chose Boaz because of his heart, probably. Like I said, he's deeply touched that Ruth is going after him instead of a younger man, whether poor or rich. But there is one slight problem. There's a kinsman redeemer closer in blood relation to Naomi, so Boaz has to figure out how he's going to get to marry Ruth. Boaz tells her to go back to sleep, but to make sure that she leaves without anyone seeing her in the morning. So she does, but before she makes it out, Boaz tells her to hold out her garment, her cloak, and he fills it with six measures of barley. So when Ruth returns to her mother-in-law and is like, Boaz said I couldn't come back empty-handed, Naomi is overjoyed. Clearly, Boaz is into it. He has promised, in fact, to redeem her. That if the closer relative won't take care of Ruth, that he will. He wants to marry her, if he can. And Naomi points out to Ruth that Boaz is not the kind of guy to sit on his hands. This matter will be settled today. So Boaz finds the closer kinsman redeemer. Boaz lays out the situation that Naomi is back, and that, in fact, 
this guy can redeem the inheritance if he wants it. And he's like, cool. And Boaz's like, just one problem. There's also Ruth the Moabite, who Naomi brought back with her, and you would have to redeem her as well. And he's like, hmm, yeah, that might put my inheritance at risk. So you take her. You have it. Boaz basically makes this really good situation sound like a really not great situation. And they fulfill the transaction in the manner of the time, which was to take off one's sandal or one's shoe and hand it to the other person who was involved. And they do this at the city gate in front of all the elders. So this is an extremely legal transaction. Like Boaz has said in front of many, many witnesses that he is going to marry a foreign woman, Ruth the Moabite, who Naomi brought back with her. In this transaction, Boaz not only bought all of the land that Naomi owned, Naomi and her husband, but he also bought the hand of Ruth the Moabite, and his children would be accounted as the children of Ruth's late husband. That's what it means to redeem. That's what it means to be a kinsman redeemer. And Boaz made sure that everybody saw it and knew it. The elders actually have a really cool response, so I'm going to read it again from the English Standard Version word for word. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. The elders see and understand that Ruth is now, in fact, part of the Israelite nation. They give her the blessing that she would be like Rachel and Leah, the matriarchs of modern Israel. And certainly while Sarah and Rebecca are important, Rachel and Leah are Israel's wives. Like, this is a big deal. The other thing is that they recognize that this situation is a little weird and that it's odd that Boaz is taking Ruth as his wife. And so they give her the blessing of Tamar, that in fact their family would be multiply and be fruitful and bring good reputation. This blessing also has another meaning. Boaz is a direct descendant of Perez, who they had referenced in the blessing. Boaz is a very direct descendant of Judah, the patriarch of an entire tribe, and kind of a big deal tribe. And after Ruth and Boaz marry, they have a son. And Ruth lays the son in Naomi's lap and says, I have loved you more than seven sons, and look, I, your daughter-in-law, have given you a son. And the women in the neighborhood named the kid. They're like, a son's been born to Naomi. Ain't that weird? Because Ruth basically was like, I'm giving you all the credit. You really did good. You really did good, my mother-in-law. All the way to the end of the story, Ruth follows through. And the women name the baby Obed. Obed's not nobody in the history of Israel. Well, he's not that big of a deal. But as it turns out, he's the father of Jesse, who wouldn't be a very big deal in the history. Except for Jesse's youngest son is David. King David. That's right. Because of Ruth the Moabite's dedication to Naomi, her mother-in-law, her commitment to God, her commitment to being an Israelite now, because she joins the family and because she gives her whole life and her whole heart to Boaz and to Naomi, Ruth is named in every ancestry of both King David and Jesus Christ. The next episode starts off with another mother, a different one. Her name is Hannah. And her son's kind of important in Israelite history, too. Unlike Obed, however, this other mother's son is going to have just a bit more to do in the story, so I will catch you then.